0: This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. My guest today is Jungian analyst, author, and astrologer, Dr. Monica Wickman. Dr. Wickman received a PhD in clinical psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego and a diploma in analytical psychology, which is the degree of a Jungian analyst, from the Research and Training Center for Depth Psychology, according to C.G. Jung and Marie-Louise von Franz in Zurich, Switzerland. She has taught in the graduate department at California State University, Los Angeles, and conducted a multi-year research study on dreams of the dying at the University of California San Diego Medical Center. She is the author of Pregnant Darkness, Alchemy and the Rebirth of Consciousness, and the chapter Night Sky as Alchemical Mirror, Sophia's Dreaming, in the book The Dream and Its Amplification, edited by Jungian analysts Errol Shallot and Nancy Swift Ferlotti. Dr. Wickman is currently a member of the New Mexico Society of Jungian Analysts and is a frequent lecturer at various Jung centers in the United States. She also conducts several yearly workshops and seminars. Her interests include astrology, alchemy, the subtle body, dreams and preparation for death, horses, and equestrian arts. This interview was recorded on Thursday, february twenty third, twenty seventeen, through the magic of Skype. I'd like to ask you about your your degrees because you have both a PhD in psychology and you have the Degree of a Jungian Analyst, which is the Diploma in Analytical Psychology. And could you just explain a little bit about the difference? Sure. Um, so uh, in
1: the 80s, I decided to get a clinical psych PhD, uh, and I did that um, in San Diego. And, and that's a really rich training that's really helpful, that is real particular to real practical ways of assisting people with all kinds of levels of life's problems and psychological defenses and, you know, whole bodies of understanding, of course, that come in through clinical psychology that are highly valuable. And I'm really glad I have that as a foundation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started, as soon as I graduated, I immediately started the training program uh, in Switzerland in the Von Franz group. Oh, you did? So you you, yes.
0: you immediately went to Zurich. And um, why did you choose the center as opposed to the Jung Institute? Oh, uh, I had been deeply touched by the
1: writing of Marie-Louise von France and uh, had dreams about her that were extremely helpful in my life and in my work. And when I did my doctoral thesis, I did it uh, on the dreams of the dying, and I consulted with her throughout that process uh, to design it and uh, kind of reach into the psyche to take a look at the phenomenon uh, of uh, death through dreams. And so it seemed like a real natural fit um, i I actually ended up being the first person to start uh, at that group. It was the first I was the first English speaking person at the mm-hmm. bon France group and she she told me that it had just formed and that I might want to take a look at it and It ended up being just right for me uh, a definite right fit um, couldn 't have imagined a better fit actually. And I also trained, uh, at the beginning with the Interregional Society of Union Analysts, um, and I very much valued what I got, uh, through that group as well. But when I went on to finish, uh, training, I decided to do it through the Von Franz group. Um, the, the richness of that group is, uh, probably a whole conversation in itself. It's, mm-hmm. um, especially if you have a, if you have a psychology degree underneath you and then you go to get that training, I think it's particularly valuable. So.
0: So uh, I was inspired
1: it, by Von Franz, Yeah.
0: No, I was just curious how long it took you to get your PhD and then how many years additionally to become a union <laughs> analyst.
1: That's funny, Laura makes me kind of smile, like, a uh, the, the arduous long length of, uh, traveling the the fate of the saturn in my birth chart i have saturn in the third house
2: mm. and
1: i have had a lifelong journey of picking up some course of study uh, and so for example i took five years through my bachelor program to do a double major in psychology and also spanish literature and then when i got into the uh, phd uh, program the research project i took on took extra length of time because it was 1500 dreams and just, I, I really bit off way too much in a way. I man, amazingly managed to finish that. Um, that took me, boy, I think I took a break way through for mm-hmm. a few years while I had my own personal transformative uh, kind of spiritual emergency, if we use Groff's words. Uh, and then when I came back to finish the doctorate, that was a whole nother three or four years. So I took quite a while in the doctoral program. Then when I got into tr- training it's kind of a funny story uh i i loved the training process so much and was just getting so nourished in the field with, with that group that i actually had to make myself finish i had to realize that i would fall asleep in the mother archetype if i tried to stay longer mm. uh so i finally had to merge out of that i think i took nine years uh to finish the training and um the and training not, to become a jungian
0: long. analyst <laughs> yes
1: Yes. Yeah. i took nine whole years traveling back and forth to Switzerland. Uh, with, with great joy. I would have taken even longer and never graduated had I followed a certain part of myself.
0: <laughs> and was yeah. Von Franz still alive at the time? Yes, um, she was, uh, she was still
1: alive, although she'd gotten quite sick. And mm-hmm. she was the, the honorary first president of that group, of that society. And, um, and people that have analyzed with her, uh, ended up being the central analysts that formed the group. Mm-hmm. Um and it really yeah, in fact the the title of that um uh training uh, group, um, which doesn't really consider themselves necessarily a training group, uh, which I also appreciate about them, um, they they would have this uh, saying at the end of each opening to the two week seminars, uh, that went something about um in only uh, Jung's statement that only that which can die uh is that which can be truly alive. And to remember the capacity for any society uh, to have to always look in to say to itself, is what we're doing alive and is it for the nourishment of the moment with the reality of the psyche? This group had that at the center. It's a gem that's at the center of that group that really turned my heart on fire. And I realized it isn't really, quote, training that I needed. It was really the contact uh, and nourishment of that kind of a process and program. So they would say that, you know, don't count on this as a training program. Don't think of it that way. Come to uh because it is where you're called and, you know, something is getting nourished in the field of the psyche because if this, we find out this isn't alive, you know, moment to moment, we will stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that created a field that became actually quite alive. And so yes, it did take me nine whole years. Uh, I still whimsically look over my shoulder, wishing I uh, still had more contact with that group. Mm -hmm.
0: And we're talking about the Research and Training Center for Depth Psychology, according to C.G. Jung and Marie-Louise von Franz in Switzerland, in Zurich. Um, And Mm -hmm. are you currently uh, teaching with the Interregional Society of Jungian Analysts so I know that there where you are in New Mexico mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. a Jung society in Santa Fe
1: Yes our Santa Fe uh group is really happy to have returned to training in the right timing and we've been the Santa Fe society's been training with the Interregional group okay. and uh yeah and Jacqueline Levine has been heading that up in Santa Fe with uh, great heart and diligence, and I, I do uh, teach in that program some, mm-hmm. and many other local people uh, that she draws in, and, it's, it's, and that's a joy. It's a good group.
0: Yeah, I've been visiting New Mexico for quite some time now, and it's not a very densely populated area. It's um, it's mostly open land, and so I was just kind of surprised that um, the interregional. Society of Jungian Analysts would have a group there. Um, why is that? <laughs> why, it, I know that, I mean, I, I think most people know mm-hmm. about Jung's visit to New Mexico if, if they've read Memories, Dreams, Reflections mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and his, his visit to Taos Pueblo and the, the interesting conversations he had with the Native Americans there. And I don't know, does that have anything to do with how that and why that group formed?
1: I think that is a really sweet question. I, I smile at it. And it is a marvel that there are so many deeply steeped, well-seasoned Jungian analysts that live in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, uh, in Santa Fe, surrounding Santa Fe area, Albuquerque has a, you know, thriving community too that we're, we're all part of. And, uh, what draws people to New Mexico? You, you're so right in asking that, that wide open vistas, the landscape, the indigenous soul, uh, that lives in the land still, yeah. uh, the, the think tanks that have, uh, also formed the reality of, uh, the, uh, Oppenheimer and the whole creation of the bomb, uh, it is totally a land of paradox, uh, and really the paradoxes that we really feel stretched in today from, uh, you know, the alchemy of war and war realities to the indigenous soul that still lives on the land that it originally had. They were not relocated, and there's something very, very powerful. Many analysts do flock to the area. We have probably one of the bigger societies in the States um, and really rich, interesting people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I know that, uh, the soul of New Mexico drew me, uh, decades, um, earlier in the, in the seventies, I remember coming out, um, and then coming out in the eighties again, and, and then finally moving there in eighty nine, uh, drawn to this, definitely, uh, the, the soul of the land.
0: I was just looking through my notes here because, um, you mentioned in your book, Pregnant Darkness, the dancers, and is it, I'm not mm-hmm. sure how to pronounce it, the, Heyoka dancers at Taos Pueblo. But yes. I'm gonna be, be jumping ahead here. I want to sure. mention what why I wanted to bring you on here today. Um there's a big Jung Center in Houston, Texas, and I know everything's kind of bigger in Texas, but this is probably the largest Jung Center in the country. Um I don't know if that's correct, but it seems so. It Started in 1958, it's the CG Jung Educational Center of Houston, Texas, and I saw that back in December that you were giving a lecture, and the title really caught my eye. It was "Refining Your Inner Bullshit Detector," and I thought that was great. <laughs> and and uh, in the in the description there. Um, you say that alchemical work starts with the prima materia, the shit that we find ourselves in, and that we need to grow an inner compass or a bullshit detector to guide us when we step into the unconscious or when we're somehow full of it. So I love that, and I'm wondering what what made you say I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lecture on this.
1: <laughs> well, you know what i I think it is rather mysterious how I sort of fell into doing this lecture because recently, young groups in different places for the last couple of years this has been sort of of all, all the things that I do, which strangely this is the one that's caught the most attention and and has um been sort of uh multiplying itself. I've managed to do this at a number of different societies and groups and, and um I'm, I'm wondered how did i get into it and also how is it that people are hungry for it what's right. stimulating about it yeah <laughs> yeah uh well i it, you know i it's interesting laura it's um the i don't think that any of us in dealing with the unconscious uh can probably have a chance to pause and marvel enough at the course corrective nature of the psyche with mm-hmm. all of us with our mm-hmm conscious attitudes and plans. It's it's constantly giving us course corrections and attitude adjustments. And sometimes it can strike us as actually quite funny, uh, the ways that it does that. And there's an earthiness uh when we kind of get this reality up front that this is what the psyche is busy doing with all of us. Uh and and in really in a nonstop kind of way. So I think I think there's something about um uh the you know the alchemists uh, would talk about you know that uh, the prima materia the chaos um um you know where where we might feel troubled or where something might feel tangled or where we're one-sided or where we're blind uh to work with the prima materia the original material is always what they you know, have said would you know lead to the gold mm-hmm. and also they'd say as soon as you have the negretto the darkening the not knowing on your hands, you've got that in your hands, you know, rejoice because you have the beginning of the work. Really take that in, you know, rejoice, if, as I say, if your stone goes black, because then you have the beginning of the work. And that attitude is such a a really beautiful adjustment that the conscious ego can make around uh, what is lost and found. the ego to become more agile in relationship to the unconscious and to understand it's where we don't know and where we're vulnerable and where we're wounded and where we're insecure or unsure or where we have a chance to even pause to ask for a different point of view than our dominant attitude. As soon as we do that, as soon as the ego does that kind of a check with the you know, presence of the unconscious, then we're working with the prima materia so there's there's something incredibly universal and daily about that attitude adjustment that begins to be rather humorous when we take a look at it, so i I mean by, stepped into like, it yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> humorous what do you what do you mean by that? Could you give us an example? yeah, let's see well, uh well, I remember when I was training in Switzerland, and the very first time I got into this um was that uh <laughs> if you picture if you picture the Swiss group uh, that I particularly was part of and the beautiful uh, formality of the way that Jungian papers are written and read and shared with one another. And the there's a, a staid formality that's also Swiss and very beautiful. So here I was coming from the United States. Uh, I'm a definite horseback rider. I've spent uh many, many miles uh, happily in the saddle, and I mm-hmm. am coming from my funky little ranch in Tezuki, New Mexico, and they're going to want me to do some kind of presentation for the Swiss group. First of all, most of them don't speak any English, mm-hmm. and I'm the first English-speaking person, so I decided that the play just had to happen. And I stepped over the threshold uh, with a talk, sounding very formal at the beginning. So I'm sitting, you know, in all these these staid desks, and I'm <laughs> sitting up front with my hair uh, in a bun, and, you know, I look formal with a little suit on and some papers out. And I, I say, well, you know, this serious work with the, the unconscious, with the religious instinct that von Franz has taught us so well, it cannot go on at all unless... We have an IBSD. You can see the Swiss looking at me. Mm-hmm. And then I stand up and I write on the board an inner bullshit detector. Mm. And I could see them just taking a double check, like, what is she doing? What is she talking about? So what happened was the group uh finally found a beautiful inroad into lab after together and it was very sweet what happened uh because the inner compass that does shift us that is about the religious attitude it's constantly wanting to play with the ego to uh to uh, actually it makes fun of our point of view uh and 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 when we get that and we go with it that and we can find the way to laugh at ourselves then of course the psyche gets bigger our points of view get larger and we're connected to the larger self Mm -hmm. this is often so so much the case
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so anyway, what, what what ensued that night, I'll just tell you, since we're on to the story of it. Um, so after the lecture was done, we went off to uh one of the events that we usually would take off to uh, in one of the local nearby communities. We went to Cern, and the Cern is a completely clean, immaculate, beautiful Swiss city. Um, and you know, just completely immaculate. You know, your your trash is put out at a certain moment in time, mm-hmm. right before the truck arrives. All your Flower boxes have to be perfectly painted. I mean, the Swiss persona of perfection is quite amazing. So after this talk, we step off the bus and... And a couple on the bus that had fallen in love uh, and were trying to deal with what this was going to mean in their lives, the two of them stepped off the bus and they stepped into, yes, a giant pile of dog shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they <laughs> began to laugh, which was incredible. And one of the analysts who had stepped into this stepped back onto the bus, put his little finger in the air, and in his broken English said to me in the most delightful way, Ah, a bit of synchronicity. Mm. and Mm -hmm. it's all right there the agility the humanness the beauty to go with the psyche with whenever we step into uh any portion of prima materia to have have that agile attitude about what is the psyche up to with me in this moment and the capacity not just to go with it but also to laugh with it Mm -hmm. um i think i learned more in that moment of training probably than any other moment
0: Mm And you speak about in this, you speak about our one-sidedness. And so, is it the case that the more one-sided we are, the more this other side's gonna come out?
1: Yes, um, there's so many different ways that we are all become one-sided. And, and, you know, in a joking way, if we think of what a Jungian sin is, and sin means missing the mark, uh, the way that we miss the mark with the greater self, uh, the number one way is our one-sidedness. And, you know, this is true of every single person, and typology uh, lands us in that right off the bat. Um, you know, if you're a thinking type or an intuitive type, feeling type, you know, sensation, thinking, however you land on the medicine wheel, the opposite polarity uh, is something that you keep in mind because the larger self will constantly be bringing the polarity in for your own wholeness. And like the native traditions have known with medicine circles, we're all born in a certain direction and we learn to have the energy circulate and navigate the larger mandala of the self that shows up in these medicine wheels that then creates greater wholeness. So soon as you know, for example, that you're an intuitive type, then you know sensation is going to be a place where constantly you're getting rebalanced. Uh And that's true in my life. I'm definitely an intuitive type. So the, the, to be in constant respect for, uh, the, the earth, earthy, uh, realms of sensation and, and to learn to tend those. The this, this self, the this self directs us there because mm-hmm. wherever, wherever our one-sided side is, let's just stay with the typology wheel for a second. Wherever you're born, Laura, for example, on the typology wheel, you may know where the inferior function lies and where, you know, the self is, uh, trying to grow you into more wholeness. It will bring the devils and the numinousness in, numinosity in through where the inferior function actually is. Uh, and you can watch your journey over time, the wholeness that the self is growing uh, through holding that polarity. So everybody's got that as a one-sidedness mm-hmm. somehow working right. with the shadow. So the shadow does bring up the other
0: side. And I'm glad you mentioned the shadow because um it, it's every time I, tweet about the shadow on Twitter, it seems to be the topic that gets the most attention. And um, so mm-hmm. the shadow is what is unknown, right? And often incompatible with our conscious attitude and our, our ideas and experiences and, mm-hmm. and all that we think is not us. So, right. you know, the unknown parts of ourselves, of our psyche. And why is, you had written something about how that really got my attention about how the work that we do on our own shadow benefits the world around us and and the greater collective too. Could you explain a little bit about that? Um yes, I'd be happy to. Um
1: maybe we get there uh via a little dream piece. Um okay. because I think the dream it, it helps I think it helps us see how the unconscious is addressing exactly that. Um and in the dream, uh, this is a dream of mine that I had uh, uh, years ago. And it, as we watch what's happening in our collective world, uh, I think this dream and other dreams around the collective become even more important that, that really show this working out of the shadow. So in, in this dream, in this portion of the dream, uh, I am uh seeing that there is a storm of evil that is collective that has grown in the sky. And it's gotten you know, quite large. I can see it moving in the sky and i'm in uh the back shed of my house in this dream and i'm feeding uh horses and other animals some grain and and such and i i also have put evidently onto the house little gargoyle like demonic creatures um uh but interestingly they're not looking outside they're on little plants looking inside and I can tell this has a protective energy to it. These, these demonic little figures on the, on these plants. And I've watered the plants and I'm feeding the animals. And, and then I find myself saying in the dream a little prayer and I'm saying, may we be granted the capacity to pull out of that collective shadow, um, you know, my portion, uh, of the shadow so that this collective evil lessens that the collective evil will lessen can i pull out of the storm of collective shadow my shadow so that the collective storm of evil may lessen and this get yeah this really gets to what jung is speaking about that um that each person if we work with our own shadow we would then know that we are actually not, not about being good or bad and that kind of polemic and that kind of splitting uh, and that kind of di- um uh uh, p- polarizing but instead he says that we we would know that we're also mildly evil that we would integrate enough of the stuff and sulfur of the shadow that we the repugnant shadow for example that we try to reject about ourselves that we might see in others or um might come up in our, ourselves at times to to really work with that and and grow more of a relationship to it and come to understand and integrate it um one of the pieces I think that we see these days uh, that's so strong, of course, would, I think would have to do with aggression.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, and uh, I'd like to direct your listeners, too, to Jacqueline West and Nancy Doherty's brilliant book called Matrix and Meaning, uh, where they're looking at uh, character structures. Uh, I think that book is um, just, uh, boy, it's such a gem for taking a look at the way integration of the shadow operates um, because they're looking at character structures and particularly this middle path that they're looking at around the psychopath is an- I think really got our attention when we look at our world politics today. Every one of us, um, if we can find, uh, the part of us that, that, um, uh, where we stand with dominance and aggression, uh, where each of us personally stand with dominance aggression, how it operates through us, moves through us, or how we're allergic to it and how we may be, uh, running from, uh, even taking a stand. Uh, mm-hmm. using positive aggression, you know, like biting through to have a place in the world, in your family life, in your relationships, and uh, uh, your career to, one must, uh, you know, one must live one's life and take up the actual space and oxygen that is one's life. And that takes a little bit of positive aggression to, to hold one's own, as we know. And mm-hmm. instinctually it does. So our collective storm right now is full of so much aggression. If people live in fear, and just leave the aggression outside, projected onto politicians and uh, superpowers that are operating in that dominance, predator, prey domain. If we leave it all outside, we only make the shadow of the collective get worse. Yeah. And, and for us, yeah. So we find the psychopathic or the predator, prey stuff inside ourselves or where we struggle to even hold a little tiny piece of earth uh, and have a name in this world. If, wherever one stands uh, with those issues and what side of the polarity, if we work it, we help that collective evil lesson. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I didn't want to bring this up, but mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's everywhere. Um, and it started with, uh, Dr. Tom Lavin giving a lecture at mm-hmm. the Jung Center here in Chicago about um, mm-hmm. what he was calling the Trump phenomena and mm-hmm. Trump hadn't even been elected yet and, mm. I went to that lecture and Dr. Lavin meant it to be about the collective shadow and people in the audience, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they were upset. They wanted it to be about Mm -hmm. Trump is evil and he's awful and, Mm -hmm. you know, and Lavin wasn't going there. Um, and I, I had him, I had him on this podcast and I really still think people missed what he was trying to say is that this is about Mm -hmm. us. And Mm -hmm. still, Mm -hmm. my my Twitter timeline, and I'm off of Facebook now, partly because of this, but it Mm -hmm. was just all about what an evil, horrible person Donald Trump is, and, and, you know, what we need to do about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Well, there's something we're not getting here and there's just, there's just Mm -hmm. all of this awful, Mm -hmm. just these, Mm -hmm. these, these people that I've known for years are now just showing just this ugliness and it's really bothering Mm me. And I don't, I don't want to say anything publicly because just for Mm -hmm. fear that I'm going to be Mm -hmm. labeled or seen as not being on Mm -hmm. their side and I I just Mm -hmm. stay out of it, but I just feel like Mm -hmm. everybody just expects everybody else to just jump on this this bandwagon and just agree and bash and be angry, and I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. What do you think?
1: Well, Laura, I appreciate that we've gone there right away together, you and I, in this conversation, because it is where the great conversation of the world is sitting for, for, and not just for Americans. This is where we're sitting, isn't it? And, you know, it's sweet that you saw the inner bullshit detector topic go to Texas because (laughs) – I was amazed that they had become there, and it, of course it was right after the election and here we are sitting with this and 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 how to hold this and you you're you're going right there beautifully that it's beyond right left uh and when we get too bogged down in that kind of polemic and and polarizing with each other about sides like you just said and 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 forcing projections, we're only increasing the infection that's going yeah. on there is this cycle. Like, infection uh that is operating that we're having to really watch for um and de- regardless of where one sits around one's values and and what one wants in terms of who wanna vote for or uh, political agendas the psychic infection around the way this kindling and high flammability is spreading uh and of course uh Trump and the media, uh, the way the back and forth thing is going on around highly flammable, uh, reactive um, uh, energy is people are catching it and needing to really watch out about how we spend our time and energy, watch our own nervous systems, and our own bodies. And, you know, if we really are going to hold a line with the unconscious and the religious function. Then that means the body, the instinctual uh, the parasympathetic nervous system that does rest and digest, not just fight flight mm-hmm. uh, that the the infection in the world is doing, so I think people getting caught in the infection has been uh, you know very painful. I had a, a dream which i 'd like to mention because I think it it yeah. 's how I got on to seeing it this way the night after the uh, election I dreamt. Um, that there was an infection in the body of the world and I could see the world body laid out and, and I could see the infection in the body too. And then it was clear that some people would be called to work with disinfection in a certain way. And the way was shown as each person would take their offering bowl and they'd empty their own bowl and then find where in relation to this body of the world where they supposed to stand. Like in the Tao, where does one belong? Mm-hmm. How close in, how far away? Find where one is called in the Tao in relation to this body that's infected in the world. Empty the bowl and then, interestingly, find where your star is located and, and get your offering bowl, your little humble offering bowl that's empty in your little human hands, and get it to realign with where your star is. And when your own personal star and your bowl realign, then you are helping generate a medicine that actually gives something to this infection in the body of the world. And I woke up with that knowing, wow, Wow. this is going to be a long, this is going to be a long ride and a a big work. And I I do continually go back to that. Speaking of the inner bullshit detector in dream time, it was telling me right right away, careful, Monica, if you step in too far to the infection, you're not going to help anything yeah you know if you stay too far away from it and avoid it, you don't help anything how are how are you gonna find your place in the Tao to empty consciousness and get connected to i think you know one's connection to the eternal and the human the little human hands on the little human self the human bowl and emptying mm-hmm. our consciousness and getting connected to something larger when we do that, how does it help? How is there some kind of homeopathy that then helps with where our world sits so you uh, I appreciate what you're bringing, Laura. Well,
0: thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned star. What did you mean by that? Um, well, star is really
1: a tremendous, um, living symbol, uh, that, that I feel connected to deeply. And I know many people do. And many mm-hmm. people have dreams of stars. And I know Lucy Sykes, oh, yeah. um, from Kansas City has written a beautiful, uh, thesis all on the star that, uh, I would love to see be published and have more people be able to get their hands on. Uh, um, and many people can relate to the symbol of the star in different ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll answer it via another dream. This is a bit what the alchemists would do, Laura, so I appreciate you hanging in there with oh, me. Oh, sure. Would, they would, Absolutely. Yeah. They'd say, they'd say the obscure by the more obscure. So, uh, to give a description. Shouldn't <laughs> get into to yet another symbol, but um, I think to an- <laughs> I think to answer it, following the tradition. Um, when I moved to New Mexico, I had a dream that uh, a star had landed in my backyard, mm. and um, and I had just moved there. I moved onto a little plot of land 30 years ago along the the uh, Tezuki Creek, uh, in the Suzuki Pueblo land, and, and the star landed in my backyard, and the dream showed me that what I was supposed to do with that star light that had landed was to take a little tilling device, like a little plow, and plow the earth where the star had landed from the center, keep plowing it out, into a pattern in the earth from the center. And as I plowed it out into the earth, the light would go into the earth itself. And then the earth itself, as I looked, I saw that the formation of the plowing created a star
2: mm.
1: in the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up putting my fire pit in that exact place in my ah. backyard, so into my light of fire. It's in the center where that star had landed. Well, I think the star landing um, is definitely, the way the eternal self connects with us in our little mortal selves and little mortal lives. And what von Franz is speaking about at the center of her work, she keeps saying that we're taking, we're doing the work of taking the latent greater self and bringing it into the manifest self, the manifest world. And, the, and to work with the stars, to work with the eternal core uh, that has your eternal uh, self in it um, that moves lives beyond time, it lives beyond time-space, and yet it wants to come into time-space. And so uh, our way of tilling the earth is to, you know, work our little plot of land, work what our shadow is, work what our life is and see the larger self, the greater self come into this world. Mm -hmm. And there've been times in my life that have been really called to have to get really close to that energy in order for healing to happen in order for my work to be infused with something larger than my ego. We're all called to connect to that larger center in some ways uh, in our lives. Some people have a deeper fate that uh, calls one in deeper to the fire. Um, but I, I think it is really the way that greater self, um, expressing itself in this world and bringing it into the time space world. So to connect with the stars, to connect with your eternal source that's beyond time space.
0: Mm. I just, when you were speaking, um, you know, as I mentioned, I've been visiting New Mexico for many, many years and Tosukee, I have to say, is actually one of my favorite <laughs> places that I have ever been in this on this earth, it's um, oh. <laughs> for those who, who aren't familiar, yeah, it's a tiny little town just north of Santa Fe um, on the way to Taos. And the reason why I started going there is because there's this great restaurant in the market, the Tezuki Village Market, <laughs> and I love the food there. And um, I was just in uh, Santa Fe over the holidays with my family, and one of the things I love about going to that restaurant at night is on the way back, I like to see the stars and mm-hmm. we, we were, we were mm-hmm. driving and I love the constellation Orion and just mm-hmm. ever since I was a little mm. girl and I could see it. And so we pulled over and there was a fence. I don't know whose property this was. And I felt like I was totally trespassing, but we just pulled up to, um, I meant a gate. There was a gate there and we pulled into this driveway as far as we could up to the gate and i took picture orion was like right there in the sky on its side and oh. that i could see through oh. the gate and i felt oh. like i had never been that close to orion before oh. and oh. yeah and it was right there oh. in Suzuki. and um it's just always <laughs> been this magical place to me um Mm-hmm. I've not I've not mm-hmm. been to the Pueblo there but I've been to Taos Pueblo many times and I wanted to mention um before we run out of time um, what I had referred to in the beginning the Heoka dancers because mm-hmm. you you mentioned them in your book in chapter 4 of your book Pregnant Darkness you do mention mm-hmm. um, the the inner jackass which I thought was <laughs> hilarious and My little story of what happened at Taos Pueblo, um, they have the Haleca Dancers. I don't know how many times a year they come out, but this was, I think, on Christmas Day. It was one of my favorite things to do on Christmas Eve is to go to Taos Pueblo for um, Mass and then the great big bonfires and um, the procession of Mm -hmm. the Virgin Mary. Um, But anyway, Mm -hmm. the next day, um, I don't know if it's a deer dance or a buffalo dance that they do. And it was the first time I had attended that and I had I had gotten in town over at Sam's shop. Oh, this was in Taos. At Sam's mm-hmm. shop, they were selling these uh spirit hoods, and I got one that is the silver coyote mm-hmm. and because it was so cold and I just didn't have enough gear and it's this Hood with little ears on it and it's fake fur, and um and and then it has sides that come down <laughs> where you can stick your hands in and I wore this to mm-hmm. Taos Pueblo on <laughs> Christmas Day, and of course, the Hayoka dancers that are painted in black and white stripes saw mm-hmm. me, saw that, <laughs> and I was not familiar with how they interact with the public, and I was frightened <laughs> beyond belief they wanted this hood. And it was like, I'm sorry, but it was like $150. And I wasn't going to give them this hood, even though how great would that have been if I would have played along and let Mm -hmm. them take it off me and who knows what they would have done with it. But Mm -hmm. no, I was just not giving that up. So tell me what happened to me there. I don't know. (laughs) I would love to have seen that. I'm surprised that you got away
1: with keeping it. Um, Oh, it was um, not easy.
0: No, it was not easy. And mm -hmm. they came at me again a second time. And I just kept running Mm -hmm. away from them, hiding behind bigger people. I was frightened. (laughs) And here I am at one of my favorite, again, one of my favorite places in the world. I mean, I I just felt so, Mm -hmm. it's such a Mm -hmm. spiritual experience for me. And, you know, you're at about 8,000, 9,000 feet above sea level and mm-hmm. at the at the foot of Taos Mountain and getting to attend mm-hmm. this sacred <laughs> ceremony to me. And these guys, these big burly, painted, oh, yeah. <laughs> crazy, dirty, nasty, were coming after my, you know, spirithood that I just spent one hundred and fifty dollars on. So I'm I'm not at all happy with my behavior. I wish I could relive that moment I would t- I would do it differently, but. What, what, would, you do, what would you do differently? I, would I think have played what you did al- actually yeah. is pretty, pretty priceless. I would have played along. <laughs> I want to know what they, mm-hmm. what they were going to do. You mm-hmm. know, I think they were smoking cigarettes too. And yeah. these <laughs> pay open dancers, right? Yeah. And um, but yeah. I just thought if they got their hands on it, they would, I would never see that thing again. And I had just gotten it, you
1: know. So, well, you know, I have to say, I think this is a sweet. Um, moment uh speaking of playing with the star you know like looking at what's expressing itself in your life laura when that was happening and uh so we'll, we'll talk about the hyoka second but i think coming back to what you did with it and kind of what it means that that happened to you is really touching uh well like you i feel deeply and uh moved and uh you know beyond belief that not enough to move to be right uh, inside that landscape and feel the indigenous in the land itself so closely, and to live on it, be nourished by it, dream on it, feel it, go to the dances. So I know what you're talking about about the depth and beauty that you're you're drawn to there. And and, and the hioka do really catch my eye too. They are the sacred clowns. Um, it'd be like the, in Shakespearean theater, the sacred fool uh, is the one who knows the truth and uses everything to play with it. And as we know in Shakespeare, my God, the un canny wisdom it's like spirit mercurius when we watch uh you know the the fool uh in the a, in a shakespeare story unfold and the super intelligence and the questions that pokes at everything i mean really that's what does lead to the inner bullshit detector and and what jung is talking about with a religious conscience a conscience that has deep spiritual religious you know tap root to the depths of the psyche in it so how do he go a trickster, intense energies like that serve that part of the psyche. Um, so if you, if you watch them, they both hold the form of dances, they hold the sacred form of dances and they help the dancers and they help orient the dancers during it. Uh, and they also, uh, make fun of, uh, everything. They're the sacred clowns then that go around and make fun of everything and they can like they were doing with you they can go up to any participant and and mirror them uh and you know doggedly it can even feel like uh just really intense um the going after what you had on uh and you know them recognizing the black white and wanting to play with you but i get it it's that edge where you wonder what's going to happen to me right. uh i one time i was chased at the uh at the Hopi uh nation. I was really? went out to the Hopi to um uh, yeah, I was I was chased by uh two of these figures and they were gonna put me in the Kiva if I no. didn't run fast enough. Yeah, there there wow. are certain dances where that's part of what they do. And uh, I was I've not warned. I had no idea. Yeah.
0: This <laughs> yeah, was, you know, I just want to try. mention also, yeah, this was in twenty twelve by the way. That wasn't that didn't happen this year. Yeah. This was several years ago. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's why I think what you
1: did is perfect because you protected really? your connection. Oh. Yeah, definitely because you protected, oh. you know, your connection to your own spirithood and they didn't get as far in with you. Who knows what they would have done? I mean, I, you know, maybe it would have just been playful, but, but I have to say on the Hopi, I know that it, that can get pretty serious. Uh I've known people that have been down in the kiva for more than 24 hours. What? So, uh Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is, this is indigenous soul, indigenous mind, indigenous tradition. And yeah, we're visitors. And so I think what you did was just perfect. In a way, it's like, if we think of it as a dream piece, right, that, you know, the dream ego, you running around there with your little spirit hood, knew, whoa, careful, and ran to protect yourself and it. And I I think it's, for me, it is a, it's a snapshot like a dream of you, Laura. And, and this gets me to the work that you're doing, uh, in the world. Uh, you know, you clearly are, uh, one of the Chiron people. You, uh, through your own work with the psyche, you know, and working with your own wound, I'm sure, you know, you have a healing fountain that you're doing that draws different souls like me and others that you've interviewed. I've really appreciated listening to the interviews that you've done, Laura. You, you are serving up. Yeah. You, you're drawn to this, your own creative. Imp- prints on it what you're up to and that that image of you on the Pueblo is perfect you've got your own little spirit hat that has its hioka trickster nature to it too and so in a way it's like owning a piece of that and taking it home in astrology we'd say it's uranus uh that the uranus uh, promethean uh, archetypal field has mm-hmm. to do with the hioka yeah mm-hmm. they carry a little bit of saturn because they do regulate the dance but they also carry this other part uh that's wild um so i I think it's an imprint on you, and it, it's touching to hear it um i i would take care of that hat, use it for rituals and ceremony <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. well, thank you for for shedding that light on it because i was I was seeing that in a completely different way. I was feeling guilty for not going along and playing along, and hadn't really thought of it as that I was protecting myself um another awesome. oh, thank you. Yeah another image um that that you mention um is the donkey and in chapter 4 of your book you say that Mary rides a donkey to the stable where she gives birth to Jesus and that the donkey one of the lowliest of animals is also paradoxically the perfect carrier mm-hmm. for birth of the divine mm-hmm. and and um so that that's along the lines of the the inner jackass that that you were writing about
1: I well, like that Laura, see here, you, well, I was just going to tell you that of everything that we could get into today, what you're bringing up, is, this is your hat, this is you doing this. That that line right there, that image right there, really is the heart of everything to do with the inner bullshit detector. Mm-hmm. Because if we are willing to go with our lowly nature and... Um, and realize then that's where the sacreds actually coming in, yes. uh, like the Christ child where the Christ child gets born in the manger with just animals and she rides the donkey in you know where where is that quote Christ light getting born in each of us it's it's really uh, in a it's a humble enterprise and it has to do also with the animal body and uh, with the shadow and our more our more lowly nature living close to that. Um, so i moved you brought that in, and it, it reminds me of the, Juan Frances' work on the Goose Girl fairy tale where she's speaking about the beauty of the religious instincts when they come in because we learn to naturally tend right where the spirit of nature is showing us the Tao is. Where are we with the Tao, and where is the Tao? Where do we feel the harmony with the greater world? If we aren't tending the lowliest of instincts, we're not going to be able to attune and uh, and live with it. And, and bottom line with this work on their bullshit detector, mm-hmm. the reason I got onto it is because Jung is saying what matters most, what absolutely matters most of his work, you know, is the religious instinct and how we live with the unconscious day to day. So if we live with the unconscious day to day and we find out where our little lowly creature, our little donkey is moving um, and, you know, pet its head, get used to it. Listen to where it's braying to us, where we've been a jackass or, or um, and I even, uh, you know, I, I, I think that really is where, you know, soul comes in. So I appreciate that you brought exactly that line in. Mm. how do we feel that in ourselves day to day and the closer to the unconscious because of it closer in a harmonious recentering place with the unconscious so that we're, we're more with the Tao or taking up a rightful place in the Tao. Mm. You, you, you hit it perfectly. One time I went to Ireland and I was, went to a Holy well and I was, you know, wondering what I was going to experience at the Holy well. I mentioned this in the book right around that chapter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to my surprise, you know, this whole time I'm there, this donkey is braying over the fence, you know, you just keep sawing on and on and on and on, and I'm waiting for my mm-hmm. little holy moment, and I realize this is the holy moment. <laughs> it is the donkey.
2: Yeah. It's the, this is
1: it, <laughs> the donkey braying, the donkey and the psyche braying uh, and speaking and um making the soul known. Mm-hmm. So that's and what then you, you brought that in.
0: Yeah, I like that. And then you also quote uh, Kabir, the Sufi poet, um, I just the beginning of it. I love this. He said, Are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. So I love that. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's
1: that's so helpful. Well that's good because um what he's doing in there uh is really helpful because he's calling us out of all these places that we think, you know, the mm. divine would be yeah. yeah. and saying, I'm right I'm right next to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think he says I'm not in the winding your legs around your head and eating nothing but vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not in <laughs> rooms and synagogues. I'm right next to you. You're sitting shoulder to shoulder
0: with me. Yes. That reminds uh, me of. Well, um, go ahead, I, please. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I just you,
1: you maybe think about then that roomy line, which I think is the same thing. This is why that we should always be getting a surprise with how the spirit of the unconscious is is you know, meeting us. It's always outside the ego's purview and what we know, right? So that beautiful Rumi line uh, is similar, where he's saying, though we seem to be sleeping, there is a spirit that directs the dream, and that will eventually startle us back to the truth of who we are. So there's a, though we seem to be sleeping, there's a spirit that directs the dream that will eventually startle us back to the truth of who we are. And the Conscious used to, loves to use that startling energy. That would be like, you know, the hioka or making fun or playing or giving us a sense of the repugnant, you know, part of the shadow. Um, but sometimes it's part of the golden part of the shadow. A lot of people actually live more in deflation than inflation. And so living deflated, they have to find out that, you know, the shadow actually is the, their sense of connection to the, you know, their their cosmic connectivity mm, uh, so the shadow can come in either side
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And but then it startles I, us back yeah. mm-hmm.
0: I also want to mention um, the chapter that you did for the book the dream and its amplification it's called night sky as alchemical mirror Sophia's dreaming and mm-hmm. to, there, it, it's a wonderful chapter and I, I highly recommend it you, you mentioned two things that are near and dear to my heart one is Sedna who mm-hmm. thanks to Alice O'Howell mm-hmm. yes um mm-hmm. really is and then you mm-hmm. also mention Aditi who a friend of mine, the painter Arlene Liddell Hayes, um mm-hmm. sort of adopted her, mm-hmm. I wanna say, and, and and used her name for a while. And you mentioned that oh. she she Aditi is the throne of blackness. Um but before mm-hmm. that you recount an incident where you were ill and you almost died. And mm-hmm. You said, free falling into the great blackness I went. I fell and fell, and finally the darkness itself caught and held me. Mm -hmm. And I just think Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, in our culture especially, we're taught to fear the dark and Mm -hmm. get rid of the dark, turn on the light, you know. Right. um, Worship the sun. And um, what about the darkness?
1: Yes. Well, <laughs> it takes my breath away because, well, it should, right? The, the, the great void, the great unknown, uh, the horizons of the unknown that living with the greater Tao, the greater self, you know, we, to live with that, we, we are constantly with our little nose to the horizon of the unknown and to the darkness. And alchemy has that at the heart of its mysteries, uh, is the negretto,
2: mm-hmm. is
1: the darkening and the not knowing. And, um, and as you are probably well aware, well, really well aware too, the Black Madonna mysteries, uh, of the Divine Feminine that Aditi, you know, is part of. She's even more ancient, you know, than Christian renditions or, mm-hmm. or beautiful pagan renditions. Um, but the, yeah, the, the Black Mother, Dark Mother, um, Aditi is interesting too, because she, uh, is a she, he from the beginning of time. She's in, um, in Hinduism. She, uh is both male and female, yin and yang, and she is the void from which all springs into which all shall return. And we know this psychic reality for growth in our lives that we need to die before we die. Uh Mm -hmm. we need to do the death work on this side of dying, uh to, you know, fully grow into more of of really who we are that's startling us into the who we are. We are we are part of a rebirthing uh reality that the psyche does. And it is the Black uh, Madonna Mysteries, it's Aditi, it's it's finding uh, our way in the darkness when the darkness may really turn and um, uh, befriend us and it may become appeased. Now, this this is a central uh, teaching that comes out of von Franz's work, and I think it really pertains to where we stand in the world today, individually and collectively. Can we turn and work with our pieces darkness to see if something in the psyche works with us to help these uh, pieces transform us and also that the spirit that's moving in the darkness also does become appeased and transform and learn to live in harmony with us as well as humans we're sitting right in that uh, question in my life a number of times this has been my fate uh, and through healing crises and i do mention that in that chapter Mm -hmm. uh, i was very moved in that particular moment, Laura, that you're bringing up because the not knowing and not you wow, and with the loss of this marriage and having been so ill and uh, coming back from the hospital so vulnerable to be in my house for the first time without my 23-year marriage, I felt myself definitely just as I laid in bed, I could feel that, wow, I closed my eyes and this is a free fall. I was literally in that, you know, sometimes people do it in, in sleep. They You can feel yourself falling and it's kind of like a mm-hmm. hypnagogic experience and you wake up quickly. Mm-hmm. This was more like, wow, I know I'm falling. And I need to go with it. I need to absolutely go with it. And in going with it, not knowing what or if anything would possibly meet me, there was no even time to think that way. It's only to be present with the darkness and be real with it and honest with it and transparent. Negative, you know, really stay with the negative capability. You know that Keith is talking about the the not knowing and just walking right into it and. In this moment, I was called to do that. I'm not recommending that for everyone at every moment. You know in the Tao when it's time to have a moment like that. This was Mm -hmm. that moment, and it's true, Laura. What transformed was it definitely became a presence. It it turned from just sheer freefall darkness to a presence that held me, that Mm -hmm. reached up to hold me and hold me on its lap, just truly a sense of, boy, Being held by the darkness itself. Mm. And then slowly my life could change. Slowly I could heal and slowly I could change. Um, some people have spiritual emergencies, um, that it's not all, um, you know, contained and, uh, daily. And sometimes we hit really big moments in our life that is more dramatic. And I'm happy when it's not that way, but sometimes that is what happens. And when it does, the psyche is there for us. If it wasn't for Jung's work in the world, today and for Jung's work in the world in the 1980s when I got very sick with ovarian cancer. If it wasn't for Jung's work helping me orient in the darkness uh, that came in through the teachings of analysts, I wouldn't be here. And so it's yeah. to that that I always have to kind of bow. I owe my life back to work with the psyche because it has saved my life a number of times,
0: <laughs> as I, it has many others. Yes, yeah. and I appreciate you saying that because um, sometimes I am asked why Jung's work is relevant today, since he was writing in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, and could you, how would you answer that? About
1: how his work is relevant today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, I appreciate it, Laura. Um, in a way, we've just begun to discover what Jung was on yeah. And we... Yeah, we just have yeah. begun to discover it and it's fathoms deep, um, but connection to the transformative realities of the psyche and how to live with, the, to discover and live with the larger self, uh, the places of wisdom and guidance and resourcing and healing um, and to grow more whole to create to revivify our lives with love and energetics and sexuality creativity i mean the source and wellspring of life itself and how to get closer to it uh, and be nourished in a, and find out what is ours here to do uh, in a way it takes me to you know like um, the the thought about you know for each of us you know the question arises within us you know how little soul are you doing on your incarnational journey how's it going well uh, connection for some people with youngs work, uh, really helps us orient with the reality of the soul and live closer to it and fulfill what our little souls came here to work with, to live with and, and to create and love and play with. So I, I think Jung's work is, um, just becoming more and more vividly alive, uh, for those who are, are I think, hungry and thirsty. <laughs> um, you know, Laura, maybe a quote of Jung's yeah. might help here. Um, okay. This one is one of my favorites of his And uh, uh, it starts with the line, the shadow is a tight passage, and it it reads like a poem, and it comes from Collected Works 9, paragraph 45, and I'll just read it to you. The the shadow is a tight passage, a narrow door, whose painful constriction no one is spared. The shadow is a tight passage, a narrow door, whose painful constriction no one is spared, who goes down to the deep well. But one must learn to know oneself in order to learn who one is. For what comes after the door is surprisingly enough a boundless expanse full of unprecedented uncertainty. For what comes after the door of the shadows surprisingly enough a boundless expanse full of unprecedented uncertainty with apparently no inside and no outside, no above and no below, no here and no there, no mine and no thine, no good and no bad. It is the world of water where all life floats in suspension, where the realm of the sympathetic system, the soul of everything, begins. It's the world of water where all life floats in suspension, where the realm of the sympathetic system, the soul of everything, begins, where I am indivisibly this and that, where I experience the other in myself, and the other than myself experiences me. So this is really the work of the shadow and the heart of where it takes us. It takes us into the I vow with all things where what is outside is inside and what's inside is outside. And that's speaking of how when we work with the shadow that the contagion in the world becomes less because we know all that's inside has its place outside outside and vice versa, we find it, we discover what Jung is getting at here, the alchemist called the Unus Mundus, where the soul of the world is mirroring itself back and forth in harmony. Uh, and the the sympathetic system where all life floats in suspension, he's really catching that soul reality where we also discover the oneness with the world, with self and other. And this isn't this isn't a regressive oneness. This is a step forward. Where uh, this is what the alchemists were onto. The more individuation happens, the more work we do with the shadow and with growth, we come actually into higher consciousness, a greater, higher energy lower, it's a greater development of self, uh, and it is, uh, you know, clearly what they call the Unus Mundus, the one world. And it, this is, this gets us to, you know, where is our world going with the shadow work and with mm-hmm. Jung's work? I'd like to just mention, maybe you need yeah. to go soon. I, I imagine you do, but the film Arrival, I would really love, uh, to just highlight for your listeners to, to get a chance to take a look at because everything Jung was looking at is right inside that film. Uh, the, Connection with the numinous that creates a sense of the timeless communicating and commuting with the bound in time and the transformative healing field that gets going uh, as that happens. Uh, this is what he's looking at where the shadow leads us to mm-hmm. uh, is that we're no longer in a polemics of splitting and um, good, bad, uh, you know, good and evil where we've something has transcended and we are then in, in a different state of consciousness and holding a different dialogue also. Um and it's a healing field that we all we all we all are hungry for, I know.
0: Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. And um I did want to ask you um quickly mm-hmm. that about your work as an astrologer. Um hmm. I I had mentioned to you um in email that I studied astrology for two years full time. Hmm. Um mm-hmm. wonderful lo- long time ago and mm-hmm. that that basis that I got that understanding of it helped me to understand archetypes and mm-hmm. it helped me under to help me to understand how and sort of why people are different and mm-hmm. yet we're all the same we all have it all you know um mm-hmm. we all have mm-hmm the planets in our chart, but they're in different places mm-hmm. and they make different aspects to mm-hmm. each other and they're in different signs. Mm-hmm. And um mm-hmm. I just was wanting to ask you how you use that in your work and mm-hmm. that I saw that you had written, uh, I don't know if it was an obituary or a memorial mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. to Jung's mm-hmm. daughter Gret, who was a professional mm-hmm. astrologer. Did Do you know her? hmm um i did have the
1: sweet uh, fortune of knowing her and uh, uh some, and I also, when she died, I really wanted to honor what her life was about by putting together some reflections about her life, and I spoke to her family members and to other people also who knew her mm-hmm. and really enjoyed putting that piece together and uh, and wanted to stand up also for the medial women uh, and the medial men, too, but the medial anima uh, that does live in relationship to uh, astrology that, that Gret did embody in her lifetime mm-hmm. in a rich way in a very rich way um one of the things she used to say that was really sweet laura is she'd say uh each person should really write what they're getting to know about from the inside out mm-hmm. and to really spend time writing and creating from what you're getting to know on the inside out she really i think is appreciating the incarnational journey of the soul learning something and that's where its wisdom lives what you're mm-hmm. learning is where you're where your wisdom is um so uh how i uh well i'd be interested too more about where you studied with astrology
0: where, where did you study in your two years it was uh an online college mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a couple i or no it wasn't it was mm-hmm. it was something mm-hmm. small but it was very serious mm-hmm. and it was yeah. a group of astrologers and they were doing this online yeah. and of course I, Marvelous. there was nowhere for mm-hmm. me to go to study it. So it was mm-hmm. very rigorous with lots of mm-hmm. reading and writing and exams. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, I use that. <laughs> I use that every day actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're such a
1: unique combination of different selves, uh, your different trainings. I mean, I was listening to, uh, some, uh, different pieces that you have on the internet that you've done interviews people have done also of you and really appreciate the wide variety of the things you've been exposed to and what medicine you're bringing in um so i don't know about you but i the first time someone did my chart it was just uh just shocking it was just Mm -hmm. shocking um at the depth of wisdom coming in through it um how Gay Williams was an analyst in San Diego who sent me in the 1980s uh, to a, a wonderful astrologer who I studied with for many, many, many years and and still do, and uh, is a, a rich being. Her name is Kathleen Burt, B-U-R-T. Mm-hmm. Uh, her website is Window to the Stars for anyone who might like to have a reading with her particularly. Uh, she... She is the one who intercepted me for the first time in the 1980s when I was very sick, uh, and had cancer and, uh, was expected to die. I was given a very short, um, uh, time span left for living. And I didn't oh say goodness. any of that to her. I, yeah, it was incredible. I was told I had a, a few weeks at one point, but I went in to see Kathleen, uh, in the middle of this. I was 24 years old and stepped into, uh, uh, her office um and she didn't know anything about me but the birth data and she proceeded to tell me you're in a life and death crisis uh, she could tell me you know what organs of the body and it was ovaries I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was a shock and but the main thing is that she said it lasts for four years and if anyone's chart I've seen you've got every capacity to work with us you're here to work with us this is mm-hmm. what you're here to do. Nothing's gone wrong. You're here to work with us. It was so yeah. clear and such, um, such a transpersonal, uh, vision put into the personal realm. And I remember when I walked out of her office and I stood out under Solana Beach, Southern California, stepped out under the canopy of trees outside of her condo, just looking at the world differently. Everything yeah. had changed. Yeah. Everything for me changed. So I began studying with her and I like to, I like to have people that work with me when they're inclined that way. To have their charts done, um, I, uh, I try to, you know, absolutely have it be the lead of the client because many people aren't into their chart at all. And I certainly don't ask people to do them if they're not into it at all. Mm-hmm. People normally gravitate to it. Usually I have people have their chart actually done in a formal reading with someone else. Uh, that's better for uh, analytic work. And then bring the material to the session with me. Their thoughts and feelings about it in my point of view. Mm-hmm. So I do that with analytic clients, but people who come for just astrology, I also do astrology readings. Uh, and I enjoy doing that. It's a whole different vessel. Uh, and, um, but I think where I go, you know, is that, that sense from India that really has the numinousness in it where, you know, the sense that the, you know, the soul has its little, you know, council. Uh with you know the eternal beings before life and looks in on life and says, "For the good of the world, uh, I think I'll work on this piece of darkness. I'd mm-hmm. like to be born here in this time space place, and I'll incarnate right here, and I'll take on this piece uh for the good of the world. That's one of the fantasies behind it, but the piece that's really right. imaginative is this is that that sense that that you know at, at first breath um it's right at that moment that we leave the free floating heavens and we take on the space time fabric and we step into time space fabric and that the imprint of the stars at that moment of the first breath is the little map of the star chart that is our imprint that we're going to walk with Mm -hmm. our little map that's telling us our coordinates for what we're doing and what we're in relation to what we're going to be working with and the intimacy of that is just i find that so beautiful and i found it to be so real it it helps me daily too i'm Mm -hmm. glad laura that you've you've got
0: your own relationship with it yeah it's remarkable (laughs) isn't it um it is and i i find myself kind of hiding it from people because the the comment i get a lot is well you know how can the planets cause things to happen and mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. i don't think astrologers look at it that way and would you say that mm-hmm. astrology is a synchronicity
1: yes yes i definitely do i i, I feel it as a deep synchronizing field um, uh, a deep synchronizing field, and a great grace it's like you know, um well, this is interesting. It gets back to the goose girl uh fairy tale that von France is looking at. How do we pay attention to the Tao? uh and in the that fairy tale she she beautifully is tending these geese. Uh, uh, and then the the sense that the Tao, uh, in the Chinese reality, to, to tend to the Tao and to look at the Tao, they watch the patterns of the feathers of the geese. Well, we watch the patterns of the stars and planets and muse over our little time-space coordinates in relation to these larger bodies, larger archetypal presences. And... The synchronicity field of ourselves, you know, we, we arrive at meaning through a reading astrologically only by what really gets, gives us that aha or recognition, like an inner instinct in each person that, that can say, okay, I can relate to this piece or that piece, or this really, you know, gets me down the road imagining into my life. I think the point is with astrology, if it, if it sounds too static, then we've lost something. I remember once when I uh, got into working with charts, I had a dream, uh, it was really beautiful, showed my, me putting my chart on my little altar where I like to uh, do my various offerings and I put Mm -hmm. my, in the dream, I put my star chart on the altar and I was told to pray over it. Now, if we really get what that means, I mean, that is that, you know, to use a connection to the imaginal in conjunction with the star chart, that it's a way into the imagination it's a way to recognize the the energies that we're dealing with, so for example, if you go through a really intense chiron transit, for example, and you know it let's say you know let's say you were working with a Chiron return, for example um the Ch- chiron return uh you you if you know it with your mind you'd be paying attention where am i seeing the phenomenon of the chiron reality bubbling up under my feet where's the wounded healer being called in where's my wisdom and my wound coming in you know it it, in a way it gets us to pay better attention to our ground of being then i think astrology really serves the soul
0: Mm. yes i like that that's beautiful Um, so I think we're about out of time now. I didn't know uh if you wanted to mention any of the seminars that you're going to be giving this year. I, I saw a number of them on your website and I'll definitely add links to um, the Speaking of Young website for what you have coming up. I don't know if you wanted to mention anything. Okay. Okay. Well,
1: thank you, Laura. That's Sweet. Um uh with my partner Tom Elsner we've been doing uh, a series of four seminars a year in Santa Fe. Uh and the the Santa Fe Young Institute um is sweet to um promote that. And also uh we have a little center called the Center for Alchemical Studies. It's a project of a nonprofit. Um earthways.org is the the nonprofit, and uh we host uh active imagination seminars where we uh do pick up on indigenous themes and go on out to the pueblos and attend the dances uh in order to get closer in with the indigenous. We've been very graced to have indigenous people come. I mean we're all indigenous at some level in the psyche, but people who've been born and living the whole uh reality of uh being of an indigenous culture of this lifetime. They these we've been very graced to have a few people come Mm. Uh, be present with us as well. So uh, in terms of a taste of the Southwest, working on alchemy, working uh, on physics uh, and the indigenous soul, and then that's one theme. We do two of those a year, and then we also do two a year to the Celtic imagination, to diving in uh, through Jung's work with Active Imagination. And the field that we get going with small groups, I think is really uh, very inspiring to me. I have really loved the way that uh, the encouragement that happens naturally in the field with one another as everyone realizes everyone has access to the imagination, mm-hmm. and everyone has access through active imagination. Um, and what gets built in that is really a gem. I also do a number of things with the New York Center for Jungian Studies, uh, that people would find, the Jung in Ireland, it's been Jung in Cuba, uh, the New York one, but I, but thank you, Laura. I think people could find it on my website, which I need to update. Uh, 2017 needs to be updated more, but um but I appreciate very much that your soul in this world is, you know, calling you, I think of as a beautiful hatara, you know, too. You've got your relational peace aura that's drawing all of us in. And you've also got your own genius and daemon, uh, obviously, cooking behind your podcast and sharing Jung's work in the world this way. I listened to Russ Lockhart's uh, interview with you and was very touched uh, to hear just the sweetness uh, and historical moments and peace that came through that one and, and other ones as well. And I I just want to thank you, Laura, for what you're doing with your own imprint and your own wild and woolly self that has your black and white spirit hat that you protected from the Hiyoka. Mm,
0: well, thank you, Monica. <laughs> You've got your own calling. Thank you so much. It's people like you that inspire me daily and keep me going, to be honest with you. <laughs> So thank you for all the work that you've done and, thank you. and that you share with us. And, uh, I've heard your interviews with Dr. Dave on Shrinkwrap Radio and I'll put a link to that on the Excellent. website as well. Because, thank uh, you, Laura. those are all wonderful. And um, also I'll add links to your book, Pregnant Darkness and the chapter that you wrote and also, um, the memorial that you wrote to Jung's daughter Gret, that's in a journal,
1: right? Yeah, that was since like, Perspectives, uh, yes, and, um, yeah, I think it's, I can't remember what year that was at this point. Um, but it's, it it was an intro insight perspectives. I think around 95 or 96, uh, that might have come out, came out. Um, yeah, but anyone who's, who's interested in that would find her chart in there and, and also different things she had to say. Uh, well, again, Laura, thank you you and thank you for what you hold in the world. And I do hope for any listeners that this time was somehow uh, helpful in having us orient with how the unconscious is speaking to us daily in the humble and lowly places and not always the dramatic, but uh, the secret horizon of the self is, you know, in every moment if we just open our ears and eyes. And that's really what Jung is saying is the heart of the religious function. He says that it's the capacity is grows uh, to learn to hear and to see in ever new ways. And that's the beauty of the shadow work is it teaches us to hear and to see in ever new ways that makes the greater self have a chance to come in. And Lord knows with our collective world these days, this is really an important work. So, Laura, thank you for the way you're helping us all serve that reality of the psyche more so. Thank
0: Thank you you so much. You too. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'd again like to thank Dr. Wickman for her kindness and generosity today. Please visit the website speakingofyung.com for more information about the publications and topics that were mentioned today. There you'll also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to listen to or to download for free. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So with special thanks to Frith Luton, Talia Eidelman, and Michael Deacon. This is Laura London, and you've been listening to speaking of Jung.